Kerr, would you come and would you welcome Kerr as he comes to bring the word? Good morning, church. Good morning to everybody here. Good morning to everybody online in the online world. Welcome. I'm so excited to be able to drink from the scriptures of God with you. I have a question for you, though. Do you believe that God has a word for you today? A personal word, an intimate word. It's amazing that when you, can, when you read the scriptures, you can read the same scripture over and over again, and it's good, but then one day it just slaps you in the face, invades your heart, and literally changes your life. One of my favorite quotes is from one of my favorite teachers. You probably, most people probably know him. His name is John Piper. He's a cute little old preacher. He's a fireball, but he made a statement that when I first read, I was like, that's dumb. But then as I grow in life, it's like, it's so, it's so true. He said, books do not change you, but sentences do. Now, before I jump into John chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can open to that. If you want to look on the screen, I'm sure it's going to come up. And if you have the little handouts, it's also there as well. But before I want to give you a little bio of me, Jeff gave more of my like ministry experience. But I'll give you a little bio of me personally. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole list because I've done all kind of odd and end jobs in my life. I get to serve the Lord right now by delivering the greatest element on earth, which is called coffee. Um, <laughs> I work for Community Coffee as a uh, merchandise delivery guy. And I can honestly say that I, I, I love coffee. Um, but a little bit about me. Uh, I'm 39 years old. My wife, Megan, and I have been married for 15 years. And we have six children that we absolutely love. We fostered children as foster care parents. We got to adopt one whose name is Rose. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry with a double minor in psychology and counseling. No big deal. Um, but like Jeff said, I've, I've, I've gone from associate pastor positions to church planner, from full vocational to co-vocational. If you don't know what co-vocational is, you basically do it for free. Um, <laughs> but the most important experience I've ever had in my life or ever will have is when I read a sentence in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Now I had evil intentions to get with this girl, so I thought I'd be the good church boy to kind of read the Bible that she gave me to kind of have some language that I could speak to her and kind of draw her to my end. So my evil intentions is what God used to grab my attention. And so I said, well, I don't even know where to read. So I opened the Bible. I read John, Romans, Colossians, Galatians, and Ephesians all in one night. I just could not stop and couldn't tell you why because I didn't even like to read at that time. I read the spark notes in high school just to pass the test. <laughs> but when I got to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where it, there's two words, but God. 
That was it. My heart was ignited. My mind changed. And his voice came in and said, I'm yours and you are mine. Now, that doesn't mean I didn't struggle at 19 years old for a while. That just means my perspective changed. My, my, my trajectory changed. My life changed. That sentence changed my life. And so I want to read a story. Just like a sentence changed your life, Jesus does something that literally changes the perspective of his disciples, of who he truly is. So let's read John chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. I will stress certain words just because they popped out to me. So let's pilgrims with Jesus through the eyes of his disciples at the most sacred ceremony on earth, which is known as a wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, his apprentices. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother's turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water that now became wine, it did not know where it came from, but the servants who served it knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine comes out. But you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his sons. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Another translation says, and the disciples saw who he was. What I love about this section of scripture is that In, in this story, the first chapter of John, you're kind of introduced to these five dudes. These ragtag, dirty fishermen, doubters, an anxious person. But these five dudes make some major claims of who Jesus is in the first chapter of John. One, John 145 says, we have found the one. We have found the one. Now, if you knew what was going on in history at that time, the Jews were basically oppressed by a governmental empire known as the Roman Empire, who basically, though the Jews were somewhat free, enslaved their people through taxation, brute force, 
abuse, belittling, racism, all these things. One of these guys goes to another guy and says, we found the one. Another one, four verses before, says, we found the Messiah. Now, Messiah is not a word that we use in our culture today. Like, we don't, we don't understand that word. But to break it down in terms that I had to understand at the time, the Messiah is the one God sends to rescue his people from themselves, their sin that would literally come to make the world new. We found this guy. Another one says in John 149, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Now, these are claims that these guys said. So why did it take another chapter for them to actually believe what they were proclaiming? Because their eyes were open in this moment. This event, this wedding that we say, why would Jesus do this? This wedding has massive meaning to us. John is writing this story 60 years after Jesus ascended to the throne of God. And is writing for his leaders of that day in the future. John's an old guy when he's writing this. He's not writing this as he's following Jesus around. This is after the fact. He wants people to know this news because he doesn't want it to get lost. This is the news that literally changes everything. I have to write this down so it can pass on through the generations. But he opens his, in chapter one, he talks about we've seen his glory. This is a personal word. This isn't some guy that's read a newspaper article and is writing kind of doing little research papers that we do in school that I know everybody that's, that was in school, was in college, loves. <laughs> this is a hands-on, sweating with him, living with him, sleeping next to him, walking with him, watching things together. This is a hands-on witness that's saying we've seen this. We've touched him, we've smelled him, we've walked with him, we ate with him, we've listened to him, we've seen all this. But notice the whole purpose God, John writes this gospel is proclaimed in John twenty thirty one. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I'm writing this so that you can see. I'm writing this because when you see, you believe. And when you believe, you're adopted. And when you are adopted, you're changed. And when you're changed, you're transformed. And when you are transformed, it transforms things around you. And my kingdom is spreading through you. Not through political power, not through money, not through culture, not through ideology, but through you. And I need you to see, because when you see Jesus, you literally see everything. To see Christ for who he is. Changes everything. 
When you see Christ, you can't be the same. And if you try to be the same, it's miserable. It's miserable. Because your affections, your desires, your thirst change. It's like trying to pull beer and orange juice. It just ain't going to taste good. It just won't. So John writes this letter so that we can see. He wants you to look and see that God does not hide in temples, but lives among us. That God will not be put into a box like the religious organization at that time kept trying to do, but became human and walked among us. Who will not be controlled. God cannot be controlled. Because he alone is sovereign and good. Who can change the impossible because he alone creates from nothing. He wants you to see that he is the only God that can truly save you from your sin, satisfy you, change you, and sustain you. So John wrote this gospel so that we would realize this. So let's just focus on the wedding for a second. I have this titled in my sermon called, The Scene Begins at the Wedding. John wants us to see something. Now, when we go to weddings, we, the bride is beautiful. They got the Bach music playing on a cello, a piano. The moment is serene. Everybody's excited, dressed up. What they really want is the food afterwards. <laughs> but, we, but we go through this much effort for a wedding. That's not bad. So Jesus shows up at this wedding because he's invited. But John writes the story because he wants us to see who the true bridegroom is. Jesus doesn't just attend this wedding just because he knows the person or just because he wants to come to He starts to pursue his bride in this moment. And his bride is his people. This is the bride that God is literally going to take all the wrinkles out and make us beautiful, make us pure. So he wants us to see that the bridegroom is making himself visible so that the bride could see him and say yes. But I love how it ends at the end of the wedding. God, Jesus doesn't do this in the beginning of the wedding. He does this on the third day. Let me tell you something. That word third day comes up a lot in the Gospel of John. It is pointing to a greater event with, where, where everything will change. The wine might have changed on this third day. But the destiny of men and women change on resurrection third day. His blood would make us new. But let's look at what happens. So Jesus shows up to this wedding, the wine's out, and Mary comes up to him and says, they have no more wine. 
which if you know in Jewish, in Jewish times, wine represents joy. It's a symbol of joy. So for a wedding to run out of wine, it's like the party's over. You let joy run out? What's going on? So it's a big deal. And for Mary to come up to Jesus obviously shows that she had some kind of authority in this wedding. Because she can command the servants to do what he tells them to do. But notice his answer. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, in the South, you call a woman a woman? That's insulting. (laughs) But not at that time. That was like saying, ma'am. It was actually an honoring word. What does this have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Jesus is not being disobedient. He's not being disrespectful. He's just letting his mother know that this isn't the time that my hour comes. The cross is not yet. This this isn't the time. Now, John used this language a lot. They tried to arrest him, but it wasn't his hour. They tried to do this, it wasn't his hour. They tried to do that, it wasn't his hour. What is John making known? That Jesus knew what the mission was, and he wasn't letting anything come in front of that, even his mother. So he puts his sonship with the father over the sonship of his mother because the will of God was the most important to him. Let me ask you this question. How important is the will of God for your life? Do you make your own decisions? Your own choices? Do you guess? Or do you bring it before the Father and say, what am I supposed to do? What would you have me do? Jesus did that constantly, Father. What do I do? Even when his hour came up, if there's any other way. But I know this is why I came. No matter what state of life you're in, in this world, you'll always be in want, just like the wine ran out. We run out. We run dry. You can see the most high spiritual people, like youth camp, right? Youth camp's a great example. You get this spiritual high, and people are like, we're going to charge hell with a water pistol. And then about a month later, we're struggling to read our Bible. We're struggling to pray. We're thinking things that we never thought. What what is that? If we're not constantly filled by the Spirit of Christ, we start to run on empty. But remember, they filled it to the brim. One of Jesus' claims that John wrote in the first chapter was he is full of grace and truth. He's inexhaustible. He's indomitable. There is no end to Jesus Christ. There is no end to if the spirit of God lives in you, there is no end of the feeling to happen over and over and over again. But sometimes he waits for us to do this. Fill me. Let's look at the six jars. 
So first it was Jesus, Jesus pursues our adoption beginning with obedience. But then John is showing us something through six jars. Now, does anybody in here love Jewish history? Or Jewish rituals or ordinances and stuff like that? You do? Me and you are both nerds. Okay? I love it. Because to see the background and the meanings behind everything opens the scriptures up to ways that you're like, that's why he did that. But six jars. Jewish times, there were these stone jars that was to signify purity. And you would only use them to wash yourself before you bring the sacrifice to God to atone or take away or cover your sins. They had to wash their bodies, their clothes, before they could even bring the sacrifice. And Jesus, knowing this, picks those jars, which honestly would have been highly offensive to the Pharisees. Highly offensive. Pick those. And the servants go, okay. Yeah. But he says, fill them. Fills them up. But the miracle happens through them. He makes them fill them up. And that word do, it's, it's an instant execution, right? They're not sitting there debating. They just do it. And he changes them. He changes them. Now, how he did that, like the actual movement he did, or did he dip his arm like the chosen does, which was a really cool picture, by the way. <laughs> you know. But the point was, in order for that water to turn into wine. If you ever made beer or wine, the fermentation process, the time it takes, like this is instant. This is Jesus proclaiming himself that I have creative power. I am the creator in the flesh. I can do this. And he does it, right? And they bring out, they scoop it up. Like, was it not wine at that point? They scoop it up and pour it in a cup and they bring it and they change it and the guy drinks it and it's wine. And he says this is the best wine. The ferment, the fermentation and all that stuff to make this. God was going past time to signify to us. I'm the one that purifies you. Now, if you don't know what that word purify means, it means to make completely clean. Not just the outside. Inside. You're made right with God so that you can come into his presence. I'm going to wash you so that you can come. But Jesus says, take those jars and he fills them and he changes them. And he brings it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast, we know the story. But here's the most important part of the whole story. God, Jesus proclaimed that he's the purifier of mankind. That he is creator. 
that the impossible is possible with him. That nothing will stop him from accomplishing, being able to physically and literally purify his children through the cross and the resurrection of himself. And what he fills his children with isn't money, isn't these things. He fills his children fully with himself. Because it's the only thing that does not ever empty. He is that good. He is that willing. He is that desirable for us. He wants to ambush our hearts. He wants to take over our minds. He wants to move within his children so that we can see his kingdom literally spreading to every inch of this world. His kingdom is the only king. I don't care if you have businesses. I don't care if you have wealth. It's going to pass away. And the only thing that stands firm forever is God's kingdom. And his kingdom isn't a building. It isn't stuff. It is his people that will reign with him forever to come back to this earth and remake it the way it was supposed to be. No more death. No more dying. All evil wiped out the way. You know why? Because he comes to purify and he will purify to perfection. And it started at this wedding because of the last two sentences they saw him and they believed it was the moment where those five dudes that were with him gave absolute allegiance to Christ we think the word believe just means oh I just think rightly and that's fine But in the Greek, believe means trust with your life. It's an absolute, settled trust. And you give your allegiance to him. I'll end with this. I skipped a lot of notes. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I like to dance with a sermon anyway. What I love about this moment, these last two sentences, is this. God's not hiding. The word manifest means to make yourself known. To reveal yourself. To pull back the veil. To stand before people. Mom, my my hour has not yet come. But God, through his mother, do whatever he tells you. So it wasn't his hour to die. It was his hour to reveal himself. And his disciples saw him. And this, if you look at John, this begins the pursuit of his mission. And I love, this is a little side note. What I love that he picked the one is, it shows that one, God created marriage. And two, marriage isn't about us. 
Marriage is about the gospel, not individuals. It's supposed to give the world a picture of who God is and how much he loves his church. And he chose to start his ministry in that. That oneness you desire with your wife, where do you think we get that desire? It's this passion for God to want to be one with his people and his people to be one with him. Jesus to be one with his church. That's a, that's extra. <laughs> but I'm gonna, I'm going to pray. And I want you to just have this idea in your head. And I, I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I know some of you, we've chit-chat, hung out, you came to my house and we ate. But I haven't met all of you and I'm not God, so I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your physical life, but I also don't know what's going on in your thoughts, your anxieties. Maybe you have questions you need answered. Maybe there's big decisions you need to make in life, whatever it is. Maybe some of you have been diagnosed with illnesses and your plans shifted. I don't know. But I want you to think about this question as I pray, and then I don't know if we're going to worship another song. I don't know what the plan is. Jeff hasn't filled me in. But take this question and bring it to the Lord in your mind, in your heart. Here's the question. Just like this story challenges them and us, I believe this, this is what John is asking throughout his whole gospel. Do you see him for who he truly is in your life? Do you see him? Is he even present? Is he an afterthought or is he focal point? Do you see him? Let's pray. Father, there's so much I could have said. There's so much I didn't say. But I pray that every single person here, doesn't matter their age, youth, young adults, young families, middle age, elderly, online world, physically here. It doesn't matter. I pray that you have spoken to us. That maybe you haven't even physically or emotionally or verbally spoken to everybody here, but maybe when they go home and read this story, They will hear you. They will sense what you're telling them. Because I believe this wedding story, Lord, has a word for every single person. And Lord, I pray that everybody here, including myself, 
that we would we would lay aside everything that keeps us from you. Distracts us, pulls our hearts, all our idols, all our cravings, that if anything comes before us, that, would, that literally causes us to be empty, that you would come fill us to the brim. That you would fill us. And that we would see you for who you truly are. Some of us need to hang out with you more, Lord. Some of us just need to obey you. Some of us need to know you. And some of us just need to remind ourselves of who you are. Lord, I pray that you would change us into what you want us to be, who you want us to be, not just doing, who you want us to become, that our identity, which I have had issues for years, that our identity would be rooted and grounded and cemented in you. It doesn't matter what we look like, our socioeconomical status, a political party. It doesn't matter that our identity is in Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you of the two babies that were recently brought into families and adopted. What a picture. We weren't looking for you. We weren't yours. But you came and chose us. You pursued us. You made us your own. Our names have changed. Our name is no longer sinner, destined for wrath. But it is saint, headed to glory. And it's not based on what I do or don't do. It's not based on if I've listened 100%. It is not anything work-based. It is simply based on Jesus Christ being obedient for me, being faithful for me, dying for me, forgiving me, and resurrecting for me. And he calls me son. And he calls some of you son and some of you daughter. May our identity be grounded in the king who has no end and whose kingdom will never, ever fail. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kerr. Uh, 
It's not left to the imagination what Kerr's passion and desire is, right? And that's, that's been uh, so prevalent in our conversations over the past few months and just seeking what the Lord has. And might we all just be stirred. I'm stirred today. I'm freshly amazed at God's faithfulness. When we are looking for the Lord to reveal himself, we recount his faithfulness. And he's been faithful. We sang it that last song all my life. Even before we knew him, he was faithful to us, drawing us to himself. He's proven his faithfulness, and he's been so good. He's been so good. That's what we have. That's what we have. So praise God for the preaching of his word and the faith that's stirred when we hear the preached word. So we, in this stirring, we go, and, and in cursed prayer, he gave some go. Some people need to be, be obedient. Some people need to spend time with the Lord. I mean, this is, that's the go that we recite which we're reminding ourselves. So we have received the word, we're stirred. Let's remind ourselves of what we do as we go. We go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. God bless you.